Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. Good day. Well, actually, it's today how we're going to take a fresh look at relationships. I hope you've had a great week so far. Better, I suppose, than last week. Last week, everybody was feeling just a little bit overwhelmed and maybe a little bit depressed. Please, God, we're past the Tisha of moments. And with that, hopefully the energy begins to turn and we start to see better things and blessings in our lives. It's great to be with you as it is on Thursday afternoons. And because this is Fresh Thinking, the challenge is to think fresh, to think out of the box, to think about life differently. Please remember that at any time, you are a key part of this conversation. You help drive it. You keep us on track. You make it interesting. So here's the information you need to know about how to do that. You can send an SMS on 34519 or on Telegram 0618951019. And then, of course, everybody loves social media on this show. That's usually where most of our conversation comes from. So find us on Facebook or Twitter at Chai FM, or you can find my Twitter or Facebook. My Twitter is at Rabbi Fish. So go ahead and share your thoughts throughout the show. What's on my mind, I don't know if it's on yours, is that we've come out of Tisha B'Av, such a devastating and downer time of the year. Now we're headed towards this weekend. This Shabbos is going to be called Tu B'Av, the 15th of Av. A day that I think is quite misunderstood by many, many people. But the theme of the day, the core of the day, is the idea of marriage. Celebrating marriage, assisting people who wish to marry, to be able to find the right person that they should marry. And perhaps that's a good place that we should start, to extend a brocha, to extend a blessing to all those of you who wish at this point that you could find that significant person in your life. Please, God, with the energy of this year's Tu Be'av, May this, in fact, be your year. So seeing as it's a time of the year that we talk about marriage, and seeing as there's so much information, misinformation, both in the general thinking and in Jewish thinking, I thought, what a great thing to talk about. It's a subject that for many people is exciting, for many people is stressful, anxiety-provoking. For some people, it's even a sad topic. So if we're going to talk about marriage, which I'd like to, in honor of Tuba'av, and when you consider how much work relationships require, so here's the question for you, just to start us off, to start our conversation. If you were standing right now in front of a couple that was about to marry, so I've got to do this in the next few days, I've got to meet a few couples who've postponed their weddings because of COVID, and now they're actually getting married in these really drilled down, very limited ceremonies, please God, as soon as lockdown eases, they'll be getting married. So I've got to sit in front of them and tell them something. I've got to tell them something meaningful that hopefully could inspire, direct, guide their marriage, their next half century or longer, please God. So if you were in that position, you're sitting now across from this couple. They're about to marry. Of course, at this point, they're very enthusiastic. They're very in love which is a nebulous term. Not quite sure exactly if we know what that means or if they know what that means. But they're optimistic. They're looking forward. They're excited. They can't wait to use the cliche from every groom's speech to spend the rest of their lives together. You're sitting across from this couple who is about to marry. 
What is the one pearl of wisdom? The one piece of insight. And I'm saying insight because I originally was going to say, what's one piece of advice? But people don't always like advice, especially if it's unsolicited. So what's the one core insight, the one pearl of wisdom that you would share with this couple who is about to embark on this journey? Not necessarily a smooth journey. And that doesn't mean it's a bad thing, incidentally. I know there are so many marriage jokes that abound, and most of them, unfortunately, are not funny. So it's a journey. It has its ups and downs. It has its trails and obstacles. What would you tell them? And it's interesting, I'm sure, because I anticipate that depending on where you are in your own experience of relationships, the wisdom that you'd share with them would be different. Speak to a couple who's been married for decades. They'll tell you a completely different story to a couple who's fresh and newly married and believes that they've got it all worked out. It's interesting. That's how we gain wisdom. Listening to other people, hearing different perspectives. Some of those perspectives could be quite, aha, never thought of that. So what would you tell somebody? Or what would you tell a couple that is looking to marry? Now, we as Jewish people, of course, it's a great value for us. Marriage is one of the centerpieces of the Jewish experience. The home and the family is the bedrock of the Jewish experience. They've destroyed our synagogues who knows how many times through the course of our history. That's what we've just mourned over Tisha B'Av. The destruction of the buildings, the structures that represent Judaism. And yet there's a structure that nobody has ever or will ever succeed in destroying. And that is the structure called the home, the Jewish home. So much of Jewish life happens within the home. So much of our focus and priority are the people in the home, the family, starting with the nucleus of the couple and moving then to the immediate family and, of course, to the extended family. So it's a big subject for us. Marriage is a high ideal within Judaism. And yet, unfortunately, it is not altogether uncommon for people to spend perhaps more time and attention on choosing which car they want to drive than choosing which person they want to spend the rest of their life with. And maybe that does sound a little extreme, but in some cases it really is that way because we go with the flow often in relationships, whereas when you make a purchase, you stop and think. So you're sitting across from this couple who's about to marry. What would be the one thing that you feel they should know? Something that has inspired you, has helped you, has guided you, something that you've learned from experience. Because if you can add that value to somebody else, then you ought to. It's the expression that we use in the Talmud, abar. you know, when a person has food and then they know that there's somebody else who doesn't have food, it's considered a terrible misdemeanor not to share the food with them. And it's no less worth wisdom or experience. Again, unsolicited advice is usually not well received. But wisdom, especially if it's shared in a way of, this is what happened to me, this is what I learned, so it doesn't sound preachy, if you've got it, if it's meaningful, if it's made a difference, then you really deserve to share it with others or to put it differently, others deserve to hear it from you. Here is a an SMS from, I don't know if I'm supposed to pronounce this, I think it's Chanel. I think that's how it is, not Chanel. <laughs> uh, good good SMS says, the best advice is be, be friends before anything else. And don't ever fight over money. Well, don't ever fight over money is easier said than done, right? 
they say one of the greatest causes of conflict in a marriage is money. For a variety of reasons. Some people will tell you that the greatest cause of divorce is money. And some people will tell you it's lack thereof. You have to look, obviously, at some of the wealthiest people in the world. And over the last couple of years, their marriages have not survived the fact that they have a mega bank account. Money is not necessarily a, an aid or an asset to marriage. Sometimes it's actually a disruption. So don't argue over money. Yes, great principle. Not so simple to do. But I love the point about being best friends before anything else. It's funny. How often people, and perhaps it has to do with Hollywood or with romance novels or even with Disney, we've got this obsession with love in marriage. And of course, love is really important in marriage. But it becomes an obsession almost as if to think that this romantic love is what successful relationships are built on. Friendship may very well be more important. Friendship means it's not just, oh, we love each other. We kind of trip over each other. There's something deep. There's something meaningful. You are somebody really important in my life. I think that's that's good advice. Nice start to the show. What other advice would you have if you were sitting across from this couple who's about to marry? And they've asked you, share with me the one pearl of wisdom that you believe is so significant or that has made such a difference in your marriage, what would you tell them? You can share your thoughts on 34519. That's our SMS line. Otherwise, Telegram 0618951019. And, of course, social media, Twitter, Facebook. Find me, find High FM. Tell us what you think. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Talking today about marriage. You're sitting, hypothetically, Cross the table from a couple who's about to marry and you've got one piece of wisdom to share with them that you believe is going to make all the difference. What would it be? Anonymous SMS over here that says it would be that if you see yourselves as separate people, you are in trouble. You need to see yourselves as one. I once saw a pretty cynical perspective on that where a person said marriage is where two people become one the trouble starts when they have to decide which one (laughs) and yeah i think that is it's not so funny actually it's quite an important insight because what often happens is you walk into this relationship of course as is to be expected with a perspective And your perspective is, we all do this, we grow up in our environment, which shapes our thinking, and so we believe that our perspective is actually correct, or perhaps even the truth. (laughs) And then we start wondering, who's this other person, and why do they think differently? Why don't they see things the way that I see them? And that's where you start to get friction in a relationship, so it's not that simple to say the two become one, because in people's minds, sometimes that means and I'm the one. Like I know how this should work. So there's a lot to to work with beyond that. What does it mean to become one? How do you achieve that? I think it's a very interesting topic that needs to be expanded upon. I think also, seeing as we're tethering this to the 15th of Av, at some point I'd like to share with you some of the history as to as to why the 15th of Av is associated with marriage and lessons that we could derive from that. So there's quite a lot to to unpack over here quite a lot 
there are some <laughs> there are some interesting ones that are doing the rounds over here, as you can well imagine. We do have people with a really good sense of humor in our crowd. Here's somebody who says, tell them that the first year is the hardest, and then it gets harder. <laughs> yes, I happen to know the individual. That's why I'm not mentioning a name, but I also happen to know that it's pretty tongue-in-cheek. Some people might have said that and actually meant it, which, you know, not necessarily is that so comfortable. Uh, there was another one over here. I'm just trying to find. Okay, somebody sent a message here. I don't understand it. I'm sorry. I do apologize. I don't understand what it means. Here is Sharon on Twitter who says, Modern society pushes casual relationships, which makes it harder for couples to find each other and stay together because they may very well feel that there's somebody more interesting or exciting out there. So I think we're talking already about a couple who is together. This couple's planning to marry, so they don't have this issue any longer. They're now at the point where they've committed to each other. They're going forward. But I hear what you're saying. There might be some residual psychology that says, well, who says who says this is right? Who says that we should stick together? Maybe we have to keep options open. And that's quite damaging to the sustainability of a relationship. Okay, interesting point. Here's an interesting one also. Arian, Ari, I don't know how you pronounce it, also on Twitter says, equally split the chores always. <laughs> Which is good advice because you obviously don't want one person to feel like they're carrying the load all the time or that one person is freeloading. But at the same time, you've got to be careful with this because not all chores were created equally. Some of them perhaps are weighted differently to others and some chores are better suited to certain people. You know, the Talmud tells us that when the Jews were in Egypt... Part of the psychological warfare that the Egyptians waged against their slaves was to give men's jobs to women and women's jobs to men. So even if the job itself was technically easier, perhaps, if it's ill-suited to the person you're expecting to do it, that's not equitable. So I'm not convinced that 50-50 is so easy to determine. Definitely the role should be equitable. Everybody should contribute. I think that is good advice. Just be careful not to think that equal and equitable are, in fact, the same thing. Here is a great Twitter name. Mint Chuck Chip says, respect her. So I assume this is obviously directed at the man. Respect her. Never take her for granted. And then he says, make sure she can hold her drink to avoid embarrassment when you're out with friends. Okay, so that's obviously more tongue-in-cheek. But respect is completely underrated in marriage. There's so much literature, poetry, and music associated with the love of relationships that we lose a lot of the sense of respect in a relationship. Both the Talmud and Maimonides speak a lot about the idea that a person should care for themselves within their means but should respect, that's the word he uses, to respect your spouse beyond your means. It's quite an interesting take. So respect, obviously, beyond your means implies, you know, spend more than perhaps you might be willing or even able to spend. But I think psychologically it's far deeper than that. Respect the person beyond what is natural for you to do. So not just get getting caught up, you know, in the love experience Look for respect. Look to show respect. I think it's very sound advice. Here's somebody on Twitter who says, there is no advice. It's on the job training for life. <laughs> it is on the job training. That doesn't mean you can't take advice. That doesn't mean you can't learn. That's what on the job training means. 
that you seek insight and you seek wisdom. What's wrong with that? Who says that you're supposed to have all the answers? In fact, that might be one of the best pieces of insight that you can give a couple is you won't have all the answers. So don't expect to work it out by yourselves. Learn not only from your own mistakes. Be smart enough to learn from other people's mistakes. Guess what? That's actually an option. Here's another one on Twitter who says, I like to tell young men, this is a rabbi, I like to tell young men your relationship with your wife is like a boomerang. Whatever you throw out at her will come back at you. So make sure you're only sending love, understanding, patience, etc. her way. Very, very true. Because as King Solomon says, like water reflects a face, so the heart of one person reflects the heart of the other. Whatever you give to the relationship is what you can anticipate, not expect. Let's be careful with that word. Expectations are dangerous. They can be the Achilles heel of a relationship. But you can anticipate that what you invest into a relationship is much more likely what you'll get back if you're not investing in the relationship and you're not really putting good, healthy energy out there. You really shouldn't expect that you're going to have healthy energy coming back at you. So that's that's interesting. The boomerang concept. I think we'll have to remember that one, right? Go home. Tell your spouse it's the boomerang. You don't have to go home. Most of us are home already. Tell your spouse it's the boomerang principle. Whatever you put out there, it's going to come back at you. Here's Leah on Twitter who says the marriage is not about perfection, but about growth. Things won't be perfect, and you won't or shouldn't your way. So true. Maybe that's the Disney picture of happily ever after that has invaded our minds and convinced us that's how marriage should be, should be perfect. No, it shouldn't. The best marriages in the world are far from perfect. And some of the rockiest marriages in the world were people who needed to give the impression of perfection to the society that they lived in and what pressure to live under and what horrible expectation and unrealistic expectation is that the goal is not to pretend that everything is fine it's to live with what is not necessarily fine great insights coming through so please do keep them going the way to reach us 34519 as you know, that's the SMS line, but clearly much more popular is social media. So find either myself or Chai FM on Twitter or on Facebook at Chai FM at Rabashish on Twitter. Facebook, perhaps a little bit easier. Just use our names. We've all lost loved ones and friends from this pandemic and our grief becomes multiplied as one funeral replaced. There isn't enough time to mourn and process our losses properly. So true this. I think you'll agree with this. Recent events in South Africa have disrupted many industries. Some of the interruptions may affect availability of groceries, fresh produce, and fuel. If you're, long, if you're running low, remember to fill up, stock up, and replenish. I'm going to add, and don't hoard. This is a public service announcement from 101.9 High FM. And if you have just tuned in, it's Thursday. Thursday is fresh thinking time. Fresh thinking means you are with Rabbi Shishla. We're together until 3 o'clock this afternoon talking about, well, today talking about marriage. And what are the important things that we should be telling couples as they wade into the uncharted waters, perhaps uncharted by them and very well navigated by others. 
What do you tell them? This couple's about to get married. What would you tell them that is really important to know? Now, there are a few others that have come through, which I will share with you, but I just want to quickly digress, not off the topic, but just off this particular question. This Shabbos, as I mentioned, is going to be the 15th of Av. The Talmud tells us that it's one of the most joyous days on the Jewish calendar. Interesting, right? One of the most joyous days on the Jewish calendar, and 90% of people have never heard of it. And then the Talmud says, it's this date, the 15th of Av, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Most people don't think of the Day of Atonement as a great day of great celebration. They think of it as a day of fasting and spending too many hours sitting in your seat at shul. So where is the celebration? We could speak about this for hours. I'm not going to get into the connection between Yom Kippur and the 15th of Av, but it is interesting to know. So what was so exciting about it? What made this day or makes this day such a special day? There are a few different angles on this. We're going to go with one of them, probably the most popular, because the Talmud speaks about it right there. And it says that on the 15th of Av, back in the old days of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, this was the day when all the eligible girls and all the eligible guys would have an opportunity to meet. The girls of Jerusalem would go out into the vineyards. They would borrow each other's clothing, white dresses, to give a sense that nobody was superior to anybody else. And they'd go dance. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of joy, the most joyous day on the Jewish calendar. So you expect the people out there dancing. And then the eligible bachelors would come along and they would stand off to the side and kind of watch what was going on. And then the following interaction would take place. And this is where things get really interesting and there's deep insight for us to take home to our own relationships. Because the Talmud says that the girls would speak to the boys collectively, almost like a public service announcement. And there are different different versions, depending exactly which source you read, of exactly how the conversation went. But it pretty much went along these lines. We'll go with the version of the Babylonian Talmud because it's the most common version. It describes that there were three classes of girls. First, there were the girls that are called Yefefios, the beautiful girls. They, they would say, Bochur, young man, have a look. Why do you marry? You marry for beauty. So choose one of us because we're beautiful. The next group of girls, they came from the illustrious families. They had good lineage. They would say, hey, why do you marry? You marry to establish a family, to start a lineage of your own. So choose from us because we're the people who are going to bring that kind of pedigree, that kind of illustrious background that you will then carry on. It's in our genes. And then the Talmud says what's possibly the most jarring and at the same time the most insightful part of the whole conversation. What would the girls who had neither say? The girls who, euphemistically, are the so-called ugly girls. No major family to speak of and no looks to speak of. What would they say? So they would say to the boys, they would say, marry for the sake of heaven which, of course, sounds a little pious, I guess. High expectation, don't you think? Telling a guy that he should marry for the sake of heaven. Perhaps there are such people out there who are so altruistic. But the average person, especially at that age group, don't know if that's going to talk to him. Anyhow, those are the three categories. But before that happened, before they began that conversation, there was an intro. Sometimes the intro gets lost because people are very interested and quite perturbed perhaps by this 
this caste system. What is this? Judaism believes in that? You start dividing people based on what class they belong to or, or their appearance? Doesn't King Solomon say that beauty is sheker, falsehood, for a variety of reasons, right? The first is because it doesn't last. People change. We know that. Nobody's exactly how they were. By the time they were married, there's that old cynical joke that says that women marry men hoping that they will change, and they don't. And men marry women hoping that they will never change, and they do. So perhaps when King Solomon says that don't believe in the longevity of beauty, it's because that's what happens. People change. You know, you start to age. You get a few more gray hairs. You start to get a few wrinkles. Or... Maybe a person changes and a person could become bored with what they used to believe was so beautiful and perhaps they see somebody else who appears to be more attractive. Either way, it's not the language of Torah. So what's going on over here when we're talking about these beautiful women? So you've got to go back to the introduction to the story because the introduction will help us create context. The introduction to the story is that the first statement, the opening line of these girls speaking to these prospective Shiduchim, these men who might marry them, is they said, they quoted King Solomon about the superficiality of beauty, but they will also tell the men, raise your eyes, raise your eyes. It's a theme that you see in various places in Judaism. For example, when we pray, there's a concept of raising your hands. When the Kohanim bless the community, they raise their hands. At the time of the initiation of the sanctuary in the desert, Aaron raised his hands. Moses raised his hands when they battled against the nation of Amalek. Raising your hands, not just a physical action. What's the difference? What's the difference if I pray with my hands outstretched? I pray with my hands at, the, at my sides. What's the difference? It implies this, this is the part of me that engages most with the world. My hands. My hands are the part of me that allows me to function in this world. I've got to raise my hands. When I'm engaged with prayer or blessing or even when I'm engaged with conflict, I have to raise my hands. I can't just engage the world like everybody else. That's what being Jewish is. I need to have a higher perspective. When we pray, Maimonides describes you're supposed to pray with your heart raised, which effectively means that your aspiration, your goal, your focus should be something greater than yourself, higher than yourself. We have the principle, the verse says, raise your eyes and see who created all of this. That means seeing a higher perspective instead of just understanding the world in terms of what meets the eye. Raise your eyes. The girls said to the guys, before you begin this dating process, raise your eyes. That might be the best advice to give a couple before they connect. Certainly before they marry. Raise your eyes. What does that mean? What does it mean to raise your eyes? <laughs> Well, that's going to be quite intriguing for us to unpack. Of course, if you've got an insight of your own, share it with us at FM at Rabashish on Twitter, FM Facebook page, my Facebook page, or just use good old-fashioned SMS 34519. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Really, really some interesting comments coming through about what advice would you give a couple as they stand to begin this journey of marriage. Here somebody says, Jackie says, forever is a long time. Is that advice? Is that wisdom? Or is that a warning? Surgeon General's warning. 
number of people have said, I found this interesting because quite a few people, at least probably even half a dozen people all in all have said, never go to sleep arguing. And I used to think, wow, that's so insightful, you know, always sort it out before you go to sleep. But experience, my personal experience is sometimes you need to sleep. That's exactly what you need. Sometimes you're just irritable. It's the end of the day. Too many things. That was the last straw. You're not in the right headspace. Maybe you need to sleep. And then in the morning, not to pretend that it's all gone away, but to re-engage with fresh eyes. Here's, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody says marriage is grand and divorce is a hundred grand. Is that also a warning or is that actually advice? <laughs> Somebody says over here, where was it? Uh, says community in fact a lot of people say communication in different ways there are quite a number of messages that came through about communication and quite a number that came through about compromise and i fear that both of those could out of context not be helpful because often often when you speak to a couple that's in a bad space they say but we do communicate we do talk i always say i always say Communication is not that simple, probably deserves a whole session in its own right. And compromise is often misunderstood and very often lands up carrying or with one of the people carrying resentment. So got to be careful about that. Here's Martin who says, advise the man that God speaks to him through his wife. If he's God-fearing, he will listen intently to everything his wife says and their home will have shalom bias. Wow. Okay. That's quite a thing. I think it's a tremendous element of uh, respect and love, adoration of a wife. I don't know if it's always the case. What does that mean? That God can never speak to a wife through her husband. Careful with that, I think. Definitely respect the wife. But why do we always have to put one up over the other? Why? Lance has a very important insight. He says, know yourself before you in get in involved with somebody else. So true. So sad that people walk straight into the marriage relationship without necessarily knowing who they are. So that's, yeah, that's something to consider. Nadav says, embrace commitment, shun expectations. Okay, expectations, bad thing. Bad thing, don't do it. A whole lot over here. So many messages on social media. It's really quite impressive. Uh, nice to see that we have a lot of people, obviously, who think about marriage a lot, either because of experience or because they care about other people. So that's great. Let's go back to the story for a second. So we've got the story that gives the 15th of Av its message of being the day of marriage, the day of finding that person, the day of celebrating marriage. So what happens in the conversation? You've got these girls. All of them look the same in the sense that they've all borrowed each other's dresses. All of the dresses are white, so you cannot tell who comes from the wealthy family and who not. And they all put out to the boys who've come to look for an opportunity to meet somebody they put out this challenge. They say, raise your eyes. And I think that's so important. Raise your eyes means see things from an elevated perspective, not your natural perspective. You know what happens to us a lot, not only about marriage. This happens in many areas of life. We just go with the flow. We go with our nature. We argue. I'm wired this way. What else do you expect of me? Now, the default position of the human being is always a bit primitive. The default position of a human being is to get angry, to take revenge, to carry resentment, to be uh, disappointed in ourselves, in others, to have expectations, to have emotions that fluctuate based on experiences. The default position of a human being is quite primitive. The default position of a human being looking for a, excuse the word, mate, 
is quite primitive. It's driven by selfish interests. It's driven by hormonal interests. It's driven by expectations, experiences, Hollywood, who knows? So these girls are quite smart. They tell the guys in the Talmudic version of the story, raise your eyes. If you walk into this space looking at life as you have always looked at life up until this point, there's a really good chance you're going to land up in a mess. Marrying the wrong person, marrying the right person with the wrong expectations, marrying the right person with the wrong motivation. Raise your eyes. First place to start. Raise your eyes and see things from a more mature and ideally a more spiritual perspective. Because the reality is, and somebody actually made this comment, the reality is that in today's modern world, who needs it? Who needs marriage? Why do we still stand under a chuppah? Every aspect of relationship can happen just fine without that formality. You can live together. You can share financial responsibility. You can pour your heart out to each other. You can trust each other. You could have children together. Why do we stand under a chuppah? Why do we insist on making those blessings? Because for us, we want to look at marriage from a higher perspective. We want to enter the space saying it's not just about you and it's not just about me. And you know what? It's not even just about us. It's about a sense of responsibility to the world and specifically to its creator. Lift your eyes. Look at things differently. And you know what happens when you look at things from a higher vantage point? You'll be mighty surprised how quickly all of those things that you thought were such issues, such impediments, such you would see that they're actually not. We become finicky. We become small-minded. We get stuck on little things in life when we're looking with low eyes, with primitive eyes. These girls were on a gold mine. Raise your eyes. See things from a higher perspective. So we've got to unpack what exactly is that higher perspective? You know, what exactly are you supposed to be looking at? This is something that could take a lifetime to consider consistently. Always ask ourselves, am I still looking at things through the old eyes or am I looking to raise my eyes? Not once upon a time at the beginning of a relationship, raise your eyes, go in with something that is a more meaningful intention. No, no, no. Always raise your eyes. Always attempt, always push yourself to look at things even deeper, even higher, even more maturely than you did previously. As Leia said before on Twitter, marriage is not about perfection, it's about growth. The reason we marry is to facilitate growth for us as individuals, for us as couples, for us as families, for us as a society. So raise your eyes. See things differently. And you know what's interesting? The Talmud elsewhere uses an expression because here in this particular story, the Talmud gave the option that there might be beautiful girls and ugly girls. Elsewhere, the Talmud says something absolutely fascinating. It says every Jewish girl is beautiful. Now, that's what you're going to tell the Jewish guys. Every Jewish girl is beautiful. It's just that the circumstances of poverty, that's the quotation, degrades them. Now that's interesting. Because in our story, the girls who were not so good looking, they turn to the boys and they say, marry for the sake of heaven, 
and give us gold. In other words, give us jewelry. What's the message there? It's not a message for ugly girls. It's not the message for guys who can't find a catch. It's a message for every single couple. And we've got to work out what that message is. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So we've got a really interesting concept to try and unpack over here. What is the advice to give a couple as they're about to get married? Raise your eyes. Consistently try and see things from a higher, more intelligent, more mature, more spiritual perspective and keep growing. So in our story, we've got three classes of girls, the girls who are naturally beautiful, the girls who are beautiful because of the family that they come from, the girls who don't seem to be beautiful at all. And each one presents themselves differently in our story. And the the beautiful girls say, marry me, I'm beautiful. The girls from good family say, marry me, I'm from good stock. And the girls who appear to be ugly say, marry me for God's sake, literally, but give me jewelry. And now I'm cross-referencing a different Talmudic passage that says, all girls are beautiful. It's just that some have been depressed or degraded by their circumstances. Now, the Talmud, in a third place, okay, with three, three different references over here, tells us there's no real poverty and there's no real wealth except in a person's mind. That means that you could have a tremendous amount of money in the bank account and you could be one of the poorest people alive and you could live beneath the breadline and be completely wealthy because it's knowledge, it's insight, it's wisdom. That's what true wealth is. And that's that's the key over here. You know when somebody looks ugly? You know when a person appears to be objectionable? When I don't see things with higher eyes. We're not talking, what do you think? The Talmud was concerned with who looks like what? <laughs> this is the same Talmud that says every man loves the, 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 the beauty of his wife because people have their own bias. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, as the cliche tells us. There's no such thing as objective. That is beauty. The Talmud is talking about people who are beautiful as people. And then people who are not so beautiful as people. And when you encounter somebody, and this will happen. In fact, somebody's just sent that on Twitter. You think you know who you're marrying, and then you discover that it's actually somebody else. In other words, the person, there's elements of the personality that come out over the course of time, and I don't care how long people live together before they marry, it can still happen, and it does still happen. Over the course of time, you look and say, that's about, you're objectionable. Oh, really? That's what the girls are saying. You look at me and you see ugliness? Raise your eyes. Raise your eyes. Look deeper. Every person has goodness in them. Every person has something that you valued at some point. That's why you decided that you wanted to spend your life for them. Look deeper. Look higher. You'll rediscover that greatness or perhaps you'll discover something about the person you didn't even notice first time around. And that's what they say. You give us the gold. You give us the gold. You give us the jewelry. You adorn us. That's an incredible insight for marriage. The minute you reach the point where you only see something in the other that irks you, that bothers you, that disappoints you, that angers you, start thinking where you're going to get the jewelry. Start thinking what you could do to add to them, to make them beautiful. That's why we marry. We don't marry to get beauty. We don't even marry to find beauty. We marry to generate beauty that's my responsibility if i've committed 
to this person for life, then I've committed to the responsibility to help make them beautiful, even when I don't find it, even when they don't find it. Imagine, imagine we went into our relationships with that headspace, how much more solid they would be. It's been great. Wonderful, wonderful engagement over here. Some very powerful messages that have come through on social media in particular. I did not get to nearly all of them. Didn't even get to half of them, but I do have to mention this one from Kali. Keep Taharata Mishpacha, keep the mikveh laws. It will definitely, although she says difficult in the beginning, it is brilliant for any man at marriage. I think that's great advice too. I'm sure there's much more we could talk about on this topic. Thanks for being with me. Please, God, we'll catch up again next week on Fresh Thinking at this time. Till then, have a great Shabbos. Stay safe and stay sane.